Long ago, the Apostle Paul responded to the grace of Christ by saying, Here I am. And in some of his letters, he writes about how he understood that ministry to which he was called. So I invite you to listen for God's Word as it comes to us from 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the first five verses, authored by the Apostle Paul. Listen for God's Word for you. Think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they should be found trustworthy. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and almighty God, we come now to listen for your word. So quiet within us any voice but your own, that we might hear your word and be not hearers only, but also doers. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, several years ago, early in my ministry, I had the pleasure of working alongside a very gifted and dedicated elder of the church, a woman who played violin for the San Diego Symphony Orchestra. Since we have a number of friends here from San Diego Presbytery, I thought perhaps this would be an appropriate story to tell. On that occasion, I arrived at the Presbytery office for a committee meeting. Now, I can't say every committee meeting of the Presbytery is inspiring, but this one was. Judy was seated at the table with a violin case across her lap. Apparently, she had just finished instructing some young artist before the meeting, and so she brought her violin with her and clutched the instrument entirely throughout the meeting. I found myself intrigued. Though the meeting was occurring, I kept thinking about the violin and wondered what the story was behind this. So my curiosity finally got the better of me, and at the conclusion of the meeting, I promptly went over to inquire about that violin. And with that kind of glint in her eye that people get when they're so passionate about what they're talking about, she related the story to me of having completed her graduate work at the Peabody Conservatory of Music in Baltimore, Maryland. And she was offered her first job performing with the Mexico City Symphony. The concertmaster there had this violin. And every time he played it, it just sung with the most beautiful music she'd ever heard. But he only used it infrequently. So she approached him at one point to find out whether 
he would consider selling that violin. She was a little more passionate about the instrument than he was, so they came to terms. She bought the violin. It was a, a 1764 Stradivarius violin that was built when Mozart was just a boy. And she had recently had it appraised, now this is a couple decades ago, for $35,000. So I understood why she kept it on her lap. It was her practice never to put that instrument down where she might walk away and forget it. Then she made this really interesting comment about that violin. She said, most treasures that you buy you hang on a wall or you put under a glass somewhere. Rarely do you use them as a tool, working with them and sweating over them as I do this violin. But a great instrument like this has the ability and the capacity to shape the artist who plays it. Because it can always do more than the violinist who has it in her or his hands. Some treasures are more useful than others because they produce value in us. They bring out our greatest potential. Now my point is simply that faith in Christ is that kind of treasure. Those who put their faith into practice have created treasures of art and music like we just heard in this wonderful anthem. And the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, is also the subject of our faith who draws us forward, shapes the believer, invites us onward and deeper, and leaves us forever transformed by the experience. That which we treasure is also that which we sweat over. Like that Stradivarius violin, faith is to be used. And it beckons us onward and forward and produces new value in us because our faith can always produce more than we ever dare ask or imagine. Even the most broken life can begin to make music again with the beauty and the majesty that belongs to God. Now this morning we've gathered here to install Reverend Jan Cook into the position of the senior associate pastor of the San Marino Community Church. Installation. It's a strange word for this, isn't it? Recently I had to install a rebuilt transmission in my car we install appliances in our homes. Why is it that we install teaching elders and ruling elders and deacons in the life of the church? So I went back to the Oxford English Dictionary. Here's the first definition. The action of installing or fact of being installed, the ceremony of formally inducting a person into an ecclesiastical dignity, an order of knighthood, or an official position, hence formal establishment in any office or position. I actually like the second one better. 
The action of setting up or fixing in position for service or use. Machinery or an apparatus or the like. A mechanical apparatus set up or put in position for use. We are formally establishing Reverend Jan Cook in her position of service. We are fixing her in a position for service and use. She will not so much practice our faith as put our faith into practice. Sweating over that which we treasure together with us. Now that assumes that the rest of us too haven't put our faith on the shelf somewhere or under a glass or hung it on the wall, but we're actually prepared to put our faith into practice. Jesus beckons us all forward because this faith of ours is able to do infinitely more than we ask or imagine. Now in the hallway outside my office, in early November, all these boxes began to appear stacked in the, in the hallway. This is when Jan was moving here from Hilton Head, South Carolina. And all the boxes were marked cookbooks. And I thought at first, wow, she's got a lot of cookbooks. But then, of course, I realized all of Jan Cook's books would be labeled Cook's books. But I couldn't, I couldn't help but begin to wonder and imagine what she was preparing to cook up with and for all of us. In ministry... Defining ourselves clearly at the beginning is not only helpful, it's essential. Because there will certainly come a time when we will wonder what all this is really about and whether all this toil and this struggle is really worth the effort. So Paul always begins by setting a definition first. One's understanding of the ministry may involve all sorts of things, but these are not the heart of the matter. These are not the orienting center of ministry. As a servant of Christ, you go out with various skills and capabilities in pastoral counseling or worship leadership or preaching or relationship development or conflict resolution, committee organization, but none of these are the reference point by which ministry is understood. You see, conflict had erupted in the church in Corinth. People had their favorite leaders. Some preferred Apollos. Others were more impressed by Paul. And still others really enjoyed Cephas when he preached and taught. Divisions were creeping into the church, over certain people's favorite teachers and preachers. So Paul writes, well, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Then he writes on, think of us in this way. 
as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. You see, Paul understood himself first and foremost to be someone under orders. I've told you the story before about Matthias Grunewald's famous painting, the altarpiece that's in the Unterlinden Museum with John the Baptist and this long pointy index finger pointing towards the crucifixion. It's like that. Ministry is like that. All of our gestures and preaching, all of our offered hands in ministry, all of our arms lifted in prayer point in one direction to the one who has called us into service and under whose orders we go forth into the world. We are under direction, servants, Paul says, of Christ. Under orders by our Lord, directed by His Word. Now there are many things one does in ministry, but all of them are tied to the mysteries of God. Speaking and preaching and acting that point toward the One who has made us, the one in whose hands our lives are cared for, the one who calls us to the life that does not end. And in those moments that mark human life, birth, baptism, marriage, children and parenting, the daily provision of life that each of us receive, Jan will help people. She'll help women and men, deacons and elders, students and families and older adults. She will help them all discern the work of God in their lives. And in those moments that sting and cripple and sadden and destroy our lives, she will bring the strong comfort of God she will point to a source of strength that is there when all human strength has finally fallen into nothingness. So this installation is not so much about Jan as it is about being faithful for all of us. When Jan leads us in worship or walks into this pulpit, she is one under orders. And every time she visits a sick bed of any sort, she will be a steward of the mysteries of God. When she lays her hands upon a child in baptism and says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, she is a servant of the mysteries of God. When she stands over a grave and says, I am the resurrection and the life, and speaks to the one whose loss is beyond bearing, at that moment she is entrusted with the great mysteries of God that provide comfort and strength and hope and love that goes beyond human understanding. So Paul cautions his protege, Timothy, with these words, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching." Because it's not really about you. 
It's about the living God who in Christ heals our wounds and remakes our lives, who redeems what has gone wrong, who confronts our wrongdoing, who restores our our identity, and who resurrects what has died. You see, we have some powerful stuff in our hands, all of us. And it's time to formally install that power, fixing it into the provision for service and use. So may the blessings of Almighty God rest and abide with you, Jan, as we begin our work together in this congregation, sweating over that which we treasure, our faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.